Good morning, fellowship family. How you doing? Uh, because of Jesus Christ, our value and our identity has been dictated and determined, and that's good news. Amen? We don't have to look at what the world says about us. We don't have to uh, uh, accept all the measuring sticks that planet Earth and people and culture can hand to us. We know we, we, know we can be found uh, in Christ Jesus and that our identity is in Him and that He loves us. Uh, no matter what, not because not because anything we do or don't do, but because of what Jesus has done. Amen. So let's stand, let's sing, and let's celebrate the union that we have with Jesus Christ this morning. that this morning. Now I belong.
we celebrate that this morning. Lord, that we belong to you. Lord, we don't belong to riches or to our failures or to the opinions of other people, but Lord, we've been invited into your kingdom. So Lord, thank you for this invitation and we accept gratefully this morning. We love you. Amen. You all can be seated for just a moment. And this morning I had a scripture on my heart that I wanted to share to y'all and it's, it's this in Psalm chapter 33. It says, we wait and hope for the Lord, that he is our, sh our help and our shield, and in him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. And may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And so for a few moments this morning, I want us to sit with this passage. And if you're reading this today, and as it was read, and you're thinking, man, that really would be nice. That would be really, really cool if the Lord would be my help and my shield. If I could say honestly that I'm waiting in hope for the Lord, this is the character of our God. And it's not something that we just put on a show about or something that we think to make ourselves feel better. This is the true story of who God is and his heart for you and for me. And if you're in this room and everything you read, you're like, yes, amen, that's it. Then praise God for that. And let's pray this scripture over the people in the room who might be struggling to believe it. But we believe that God in all things is worthy of our hope. That he's our help, our shield, and our hearts can rejoice as we trust in him. And would this be our prayer this morning as we meet with him today? Lord, would your unfailing love be with us as we put our hope in you? So for a few moments, let's just spend a moment with the Lord, acknowledging that he's here with us asking him to meet us here, no matter what kind of week we've had, if it was the best week and we did awesome, or we're coming in feeling ashamed or guilty or struggling, let's just come to him honestly. Let's spend a few moments with him.
across the pages of time you made every stand with us and sing. He who died, the sinners and saints. Let's sing.
Fellowship family, you can be seated.
pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the vine and branch relationship that we have with Jesus. And so we know that we're a branch. Teach us how to be a branch. Teach us how to let the vine do the vine things and the branch do the branch things. And in a state of rest and in complete you, Father, we will allow the Spirit of Christ that is within us, at the very core of, of, of whatever it is that makes us us, Father, that the Spirit of Christ dwells. And so help us, teach us how to wake up every morning and say, wow, and thank you, and boast in all of our weaknesses as we brag on Jesus at the very same time. Lord, we have confidence in you, Father. Lord, we have confidence in Christ, not only Christ for us, but Christ in us and Christ through us. Help us trust Christ in us more and more and more. And thank you for the invitation to rest, for the invitation to simply be a branch and to allow your spirit within us to work in us and through us around every corner. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your name. Good morning, fellowship. All right. What a great morning to be alive and to be in church and be worshiping the Lord together. My name is John Barclay. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I'm part of our adult community team. This is Abby Lay. Abby's a part of the FSM staff. If you don't know what FSM is, it's Fellowship Student Ministries. Yeah, we got a little bit of crowd over here. We've got our students in the house this morning. So we're trying something new. We've got some extra seats. We're allowing our our high school and junior high students to come over and worship with us. And so we're glad to, can you tell them welcome? Just students, we're glad to have you with us this morning. I think we're moving some people's cheese because you know they're sitting in your normal seats, but that's okay. It's a fun time. But hey, if you're new, uh, if you're just brand new here or you're just wanting to get connected, we would love the opportunity to get you connected, and you can do that in one of two ways. You can scan that QR code on the screen, fill out some information. We will follow up with you on Monday or Tuesday, or you can stop by the booth that's in the center of the foyer, and we will love to just to answer any questions, get connected with you. Uh, love to schedule a time just to grab coffee and just hear your story and tell you our story. That's how we do things here at Fellowship, and we love that type of thing. But Abby's up here this morning because you all just got back from spring break. We did. Well, a little over a month ago, ago, but we basically just got back. And we just wanted to say, as a student ministry, thank you to all of you who joined um, in supporting our trips, whether that was financially or simply through your prayers. That is huge. And, And the trips wouldn't be possible without all of you. We had students in Tennessee, Arizona, Colorado, New York, Costa Rica, we had students all over the place over spring break. All of our seventh through ninth graders were invited to join on a spring break trip and to give their week to serve the Lord. But really, these trips are amazing because we see our students grow in incredible ways. So if you ever wanna hear just the coolest stories, find one of these kids and ask them about their spring break. I am sure they would love to tell you about the ways that the Lord has moved in their lives, but we just wanna continually invite you as the body into our trips. We want you to be a part of our ministry as well, and we want our kids to be a part of your ministry. And so to do that, we just wanted to share a video with you guys, just highlighting some of the things that happened this spring break. 
my guys got to go to New York. I went into it really wanting to do service-based ministry. I find a lot of rest and service and I went into it really looking for that to kind of escape life in general and just help people out and serve people. And when I got there, I kind of realized that that's not what this trip was about. It was more about first contact evangelism and getting to spread the gospel. And I wasn't really ready for it, but I'm so grateful for it because it was just something I really needed. And not only did I need it, but it was just a wake-up call to see a new culture and kind of realize that there's no church that God's planted that's dead. I don't think there's another trip where you're truly just going to get to a place and feel like a foreigner. But I also think that's the beauty of it because Jesus was a foreigner too and he was talking to all sorts of people who were so different than him and surrounding himself with people who didn't know the love of God and getting to go on New York. You're surrounded by those people every second of every day, but you're also reminded just that much more of how powerful God is and like how much he can move even in places where it seems like no one knows who he is. Going to Costa Rica, there's nothing to be afraid of. You've got people watching over you, you've got God watching over you, and you know that real people will have like an impact from what you go to them. Because those people, they don't have the access to the gospel. You know, they're isolated in the jungle, they're isolated in the cities, and so whenever you go out to Costa Rica, you're giving them the gospel of eternal life. And so I think that is really something that you should set your heart on whenever you go to Costa Rica, because you're making a real change for a big God. At the Vigilia, we were all worshiping, and it was a worship song we all knew, but it was in Spanish. And so my group was singing that same song in English while they were singing it in Spanish. And it was just really cool to see that even though we don't speak the same language, like we're worshiping the same God and we have the same values and beliefs. And it was just so awesome because it felt like how heaven will feel one day with like all the tribes and tongues and nations just worshiping God. And it was a cool experience because it kind of, it was uplifting because I got to see like how, even though it's scary that we don't speak the same language as the people we're going to minister to, we get to still stand side by side with them and worship with them and talk to them as much as we can. And we're still joyful and like, they're still receptive to everything we're saying. And it was just a cool experience. We spent a lot of time in prayer over the trip, so I think just taking that mindset of here before I do this, let me pray over it. Then I'm filled with all these nerves, let me pray over it. And just kind of taking that mindset of I can have him with me in every single situation. And also just like seeing him in everything, because that was a big thing too, of just like looking out at like the view from the Women's Center and being like, okay, this is no coincidence. Like. God made that for us to see and for everyone around us to see. And then also just seeing like him in every single person. That was really emphasized on the trip too, of just seeing what God put in each person for this specific moment. I went on ICON and it's probably the best mission trip I've ever been on. And I wouldn't even call it a mission trip. I think it's just like a spiritual growth trip, you know? You do get to do a lot of service, but a lot of it is like actually growing with God. You know, you're building up your faith and it's something so huge. It's a necessity, honestly. And it's something I wish I did a long time ago, but I'm so glad I got to do it. And I would recommend this trip to anyone who just needs it. I think mission trips are great through fellowship and it's easy to get that spiritual high, but coming back from that mission trip, it's really easy to just be like, mm, okay, next year I'll do that. And this trip really focused on building you up and making sure that you were coming back stronger than ever and staying strong and something really great. Isn't that awesome?
Hey, also, this time of year, May, every year brings graduations. And so we want to take a moment and just recognize our graduating seniors. We want to just celebrate that and celebrate the families of graduating seniors. So if you are a graduating senior or if you are the family member of a graduating senior, would you stand up for a minute and just let us appreciate you, celebrate you? All right. And Abby's going to take a moment and just pray for our graduating seniors. Father, we thank you for the seniors that we get to launch out of fellowship. God, uh, we, we pray for them as they head into their universities, into new jobs. Father, would you bless them and keep them, and, and may your face shine upon them as they go. Um, Father, we, we pray for protection over them, for hearts that long for you all of the days of their lives, and we pray for their families as they go through this transition. Lord, make it a sweet time instead of one of sorrow and grief. We love you, Lord, and we thank you so much for these families. Amen. Amen. Hey, we also have a baptism for you this morning. Jack Roberts. Yeah, thank you so much, John. Hey, my name is Jack, uh, and I work, I get to serve uh, uh, elementary kids and families here at Fellowship Rogers. Uh, I'm joined by Jay Pinto and his three boys, Isaac, Felipe, and Benny this morning, and the Lord has just been doing some really sweet things in their family. So I'm going to hand it over to Jay for him to share a little bit about that. Amen. Good morning, Fellowship. It is a pleasure to be here. I just want to tell you a little bit about these boys so you can get to know them better. Isaac, 12 years old. Felipe, 10 years old. Benny, nine years old. These are the three oldest of five brothers in our family. And um, they have been uh, homeschooled and, and um, uh, introduced to the good news of Christ since early age by um, their mother and my lovely wife, Bibi. And I am privileged to participate in their lives and see them grow in the walk with God and um, uh, throughout the years. Um, Isaac, on September 15th, um, 2021, Isaac accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And Woo! And since then, he's been talking about baptism and has been patiently waiting until this time. Um, Isaac's favorite thing about Jesus is God's love. Felipe, when uh, we moved to Northwest Arkansas, um, this happened uh, in the beginning of 2022. Around, actually, on May 11th, 2022, we were bike riding at the Greenway, and um, we were kind of late for dinner plans with some dear friends. And Felipe, all of a sudden, he was nine at the time, he suddenly stops and says, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So we did. He did, and we prayed. And Felipe's favorite aspect about Jesus is his justice. Benny, um, about a month later, in June 15, 2022, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior over at Bible, uh, VBS, Bible, uh, Vacation Bible School over at Cross Church. And he's been asking to be baptized. And Benny's favorite aspect about Jesus is his holiness. So, 
so these, these three boys came to us and says, we want to be baptized in water. So um, after we have joined fellowship family, we have finally saw that the time has come. So it's a privilege. Isaac. Isaac, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? In the obedience of Jesus Christ and your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Come here, Felipe. Come here, buddy. Watch your step. Good job. Felipe, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Yes. In obedience to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and based on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my son, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Woo! Yeah! Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Benny, come here, buddy. Right there. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, Benny? Yes. Amen. In obedience to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and, your, and based on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my son, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Man, what a great picture of what we're going to talk about this morning to see those three boys baptized by their dad. Hey, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We are continuing this morning in our Risen series and as you do that, I'm going to tell you a story from my life of an unsettling time in my life because I believe that the disciples are at an unsettling time in their life. It was my sophomore year at the University of Arkansas, and it was finals, season, finals time. Is it finals time right now, students? Yeah, I think next week, the next couple of weeks are finals week. And so it was finals week, and I had the hardest test of my life coming up. It was an economics exam. Up to that point, I had not been a very stellar student, so I needed to do well on this test. I was stressed. I was stressed. And then something very unsettling happened. My grandfather passed away right around the same time. He was my last living grandparent. And I was unsettled because I had not gotten to see him that one last time, and I just didn't have some of the closure that I wanted, and I, I felt guilty. And so I had the stress of the test. I had the death of my grandfather. I was grieving, didn't even really know how to articulate it. I was 19 to 20 years old, and then it came, up, came time for the funeral, and it happened to be on the same day as the test. So we drew, our family drove to Kansas City. We had the funeral at his, um, his facility there. He's in a retirement facility at his own apartment. It was really a sweet time for our family to, to just celebrate his life and time together. But then something really unsettling happened right afterwards. We went to his apartment, and we started cleaning out his apartment. And it bothered me. 
And we weren't doing anything wrong. He'd already given away everything that meant a lot to him and it was really just the, the things. And I remember as we were cleaning stuff out, we were loading things into a U-Haul for one of my cousins because they were just starting out in life and they needed things like couches and blenders. And my dad said, John, do you need anything? And I said, I need an alarm clock. I have trouble getting up on time. And he handed me my grandpa's alarm clock. And that's what I walked away with. And it bothered me. It was unsettling. I had the stress of the test. I had the, the grief of losing my grandfather. I had the unsettledness because it didn't feel like everything was right. And then what happened was I had to get back. And I kept telling my parents, I got to get back. I got to get back. I can't miss this test. And so that what happened was they had my brother drive the U-Haul. I drove my brother's brand new car. And that's all I was supposed to do was follow him. That was my one job, follow my brother. Well, we get into rush hour traffic in Kansas City. He, he, I think I ended up going past him and I lose him. And the problem is, as a college student, I wasn't the most responsible student in the world, and so I had no wallet, no ID, no money, and I was driving my brother's car. I'd never been to Kansas City before. I had no idea where I was going, but I did know that Arkansas was south from Missouri. And so I just kept driving for about an hour, and I figured after a while I'd stop and ask for directions, so I stopped at this convenience store. I asked the guy, hey, do you know where Rogers is? Nope. You know where Fayetteville is? Nope. This is before a lot of things got developed, you know? And so, and I said, what about Fort Smith? He's like, yeah, you go down here, you turn right, you know, it's a pretty easy trip back from Kansas City, but I didn't know that. And so I, I get my directions, but I go back outside the convenience store to get in my brother's brand new car, and it's no longer there. And so, you know, I start to panic. I go back in the store, and I say, hey, did my car's gone. I've got the keys right here. I think I had the keys. And, and he's like, yeah, I just saw it pull away. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, we both run outside. We're kind of looking and they'd actually just put some brand new gravel in and there was these tracks and these tracks went away, but they didn't turn and go around the, the place. They just kind of went down. I said, well, what's down there? He said, oh, a little cliff. And so I began to make this kind of panic jog down there. And sure enough, what happened is about the size of this stage down to the floor, maybe a little higher is the car sitting down at the bottom of the cliff. You know, the, the front bumper's pointed up in the air. The back bumper's been ripped off. There's kind of smoke coming up and I'm thinking, oh no, I've wrecked my brother's car and I've got to get back for this test. And so what I do is I, I actually, even though I was foggy and I was unsettled and things were crazy, I get really, really determined during times like this. And so I go back up there, there happens to be a guy with a tow truck and I'm like, hey, you're my new best friend. I said, I need you to go get my car. And he did, he went and got my car, he towed it around, he brought it back up to the convenience store, he starts working on it, he actually makes it drivable. He like cuts the power steering pump. He, he does all kinds of crazy things to the car. I said, because I got to get back for this test. And the car is, I mean, it's beat up like crazy. And I just drive it back home. You know, 30 miles an hour is all I can go. It, it, you, can't, you can't hardly steer the car. I probably shouldn't have been driving the car. I take it back home. I, I pull in the house. My brother's looking at his brand new car. Um, it was the amazing thing is, students, this was before cell phones. Yes, I'm old. Like I couldn't call and tell anybody. I called my sister Collect, actually, and I said, hey, I just wrecked Rick's car. And she said, well, are you okay? I said, yeah, I wasn't in it. And so, so I did call her and tell her that, but then there's nothing she could do. So I called her collect, I hung up and I drove it home. And so it was really a crazy time and crazy things were happening. And, and I, the reason I tell you that is because I think that's where the disciples are at. They didn't, wreck it, they didn't wreck their chariot or anything like that, but think about it. They were grieving the loss of a loved one. 
that Jesus, he had, he, had, he had been crucified on the cross, and three days later he rose from the dead, and then they're in this 40-day period of time where he keeps presenting himself, and he's telling these really important things. And things are not the way that they thought they were going to be, and you'll see that in just a minute in the passage, is that, is that they, they were really unsettled. They're excited about the future, but in some ways it's not going to be with Jesus being in with them physically on earth. It's an unsettling time for the disciples. And what we're going to see from our passage today is there's this period of 40 days when Jesus presented himself over and over. We're actually going to look at the time where he presented himself. He appeared to them right before he ascends to heaven. And then about seven to 10 days later, you see the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see that in our passage today as well. But I'll ask you this. Have you ever experienced an unsettling time like that? Maybe you're in that right now. Maybe life is so busy and things are just happening and you're just really unsettled. Maybe your car is a mess, your, your, your house is a mess. Maybe your family is a mess. Maybe your life is a mess. Or maybe you're grieving the loss of someone right now and it's just heavy on you and it's unsettling. And it's a process that takes time. Or maybe you've got a, a, a tough health diagnosis or maybe you've got something hard, relational crisis going on that's an unsettling time for you. Well, I think you're gonna find from the scriptures today that God is a very settling God. And we're gonna see from the scriptures that God's gonna give us power, he gives us purpose, and he gives us a plan. If you look with me at Acts chapter one, verse one, it says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about that, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. There's a couple key things going on here. He says it in my former book. And what Luke's talking about there is he's talking about his former book, the Gospel of Luke. And really, if you think about the book of Luke and the book of Acts, they're kind of like uh, two volumes of the same set. And, and what Luke's doing is he's saying, hey, in my former book, I, I talked about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. He's writing to this guy, Theophilus, and there's a lot of debate on who he is, and we're not going to get into that this morning, but I do want to do, do go back to Luke's gospel for just a minute. So mark that spot there, and then back up to the book of Luke, verses uh, 46 through 49 of 24, and look what he says here. This is Jesus speaking. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer, check, that's happened, and rise from the dead, check, on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. This is the disciples that are hearing this. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses. Underline that word witnesses. If you write in your Bible, this would be a great word to underline. It's gonna be a powerful word for us today. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power. Underline that word power from on high. That what Jesus is saying is, hey guys, you're gonna witness these things. The gospel is gonna be preached to all nations you are gonna witness these things and I'm going to send you what the Father has promised. But stay here until you've been clothed with power. Here, here's the big idea. 
God provides the power to fulfill our purpose and accomplish his plan. See, the powerful thing about this, this text this morning is in this text, he's gonna give us a purpose, he's gonna give us a plan, and he's actually gonna give us the power to accomplish this purpose and plan. So if you're one of those people who are unsettled, if you're one of those people who are wondering, I don't know what my purpose in life is, if you are a believer in Christ, you're going to hear about it this morning. Let's continue in Acts chapter one, verse three. It says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. There's that time frame. And spoke about the kingdom of God. This, uh, theologians like to talk about these words, that word convincing proof there. It's one word in the, word in the Greek. And it's one you could underline as well. But they love to talk about that because it's, it's only used, that Greek word is only used right here in Scripture. And you think about convincing proofs, what he means by that is it's not like me telling you the story of wrecking my brother's grand, brand new car. You have to believe me because there, there's not a lot of convincing proofs. I'm the only witness. I mean, maybe the, the guy in the convenience store, he didn't really see it happen, but he saw the effect. But for the, the gospel or for the Jesus appearances, there's lots of people who witnessed that. And so Luke is saying there's many convincing proofs that he was alive after he died. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke over and over about the kingdom of God. And then what we're going to see in the next few verses is Luke is going to zero in on one of those appearances. Look, if, look with me, if you would, at verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. On this post-resurrection appearance, Jesus was eating with them, and he gave them this command is, is stop coming and going. He's basically saying, you know, they, at this point in time, they were kind of coming and going out of Jerusalem. He said, hey, stop that and wait for the Holy Spirit. And then you see those words, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the question might come up in your mind, what does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? And there's a lot of debate about this. A lot of people have different thoughts. I think the best um, verse to inform this is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And it says this, for we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether slaves or free. So you're starting to get the picture there? Now listen to this again. We were all baptized by one spirit to form one body. You see, there's this, this congregational aspect to being baptized in the spirit. In our Western mind, we tend to make everything about us. When am I going to get baptized? I want, to, I want this. See, even this baptism that just took place, so this is a water baptism. We're talking about spirit baptism, but it's the same idea. They were just baptized, and this is really cool for them, but did you know a lot of what just happened was for you? They were testifying that they are followers of Jesus Christ, and I know there's someone in this audience sitting there kind of going, man, if these young men could believe, maybe I could believe. 
Or there's someone sitting out here today saying, you know, if these young men could believe, then maybe I need to tell my family about Jesus. We get more gospel conversations that happen when we have baptisms because it's an outward profession of an inward decision. Well, with spirit baptism, what what the writer of Corinthians is saying here is that we are all baptized by one spirit to form one body, the body of Christ, the church, whether Jews or Gentiles. Talk about two opposite groups of people, very different ethnically, saying it doesn't matter, you're all together whether slave or free. Talk about two different socioeconomic classes. Doesn't matter, we're all together. We're baptized by one spirit. John baptized with water. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John was the, John the Baptist. He was baptizing with water. John even says this in Mark 1, verse eight. I baptize you with water, but he, speaking of Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. A lot of times people talk about this, a second baptism or something like that. I, I was talking with Robert Cup this week and he and I were talking about this, this idea of a second baptism and he, we were saying, he was saying, no, it's actually probably a filling. It's a filling of the Spirit because believers, when you believe in Christ, you are baptized in the Spirit. You are sealed with the Spirit. You are indwelt by the Spirit. If you're a believer in Christ today, you're sitting here, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have God living in you. And there's this filling that happens throughout our life. And he's saying it's probably a special anointing filling. There's something going on there. You have the Holy Spirit. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Also, some of you might be sitting here today kind of going, okay, what is the Holy Spirit? Like, what's the Holy Spirit's job? I think I've got a a picture or a drawing of the Trinity. Seems a little complicated. It's not as it is, but, but our God is a triune God. We have God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. All three are God, but they are not each other. So we have three unique persons, one God. It's called the Trinity, No other religion has something like this, and it's really powerful. And what Jesus is saying in this passage today is he's telling the the, um, disciples, hey, wait for the Holy Spirit. He actually tells them in the Gospels, hey, it's good that I leave because the Holy Spirit is going to come. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. If that's hard for you, it's okay. It's, It's a big concept. It is somewhat hard to understand, but it's an important concept. Let's go back to the passage, Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So in this post-resurrection appearance with Jesus, the disciples are having this conversation. This is not an out-of-the-ordinary question. Jesus talked a lot about the coming kingdom and, and they kind of figured they had a role in the kingdom. And, and what Jesus, and what they're asking here is, hey, is this the time? You're talking about the Holy Spirit coming. That's, that's always been kind of in line with this. Is this the time, Jesus? Is this the time that, that you're gonna reign and we're gonna get to reign with you and those, those guys in Rome that try to lord over us, we're gonna get to lord over them? Is this the time? And look what he says. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. You see, Jesus is saying, you're asking the wrong question. The question is not when, the question is who. The question is not when, the question is what. The question is not when, the question is where. 
He's going to be, start to answer these questions in just a, a moment. Matter of fact, if you look at, uh, if I add verse 8 to that slide, so I've had verse 7 and verse 8, it looks like this. It is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, but... Now, if you're a student of the scripture, what you realize here, what's going on here is that is there a comparison or a contrast? And wherever this happens, then something big is happening. And here, this is a very big contrast. So you could circle that word, but. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Folks, this is one of the most powerful verses if not just in the book of Acts, in the whole New Testament. You know, Caleb last week talked about uh, Matthew 28 and Jesus' post-resurrection appearance there, and what a powerful passage. I think, I think that Great Commission passage kind of gives us the details. Hey, here's what you're supposed to do. And then you take it up a notch with this appearance. He's really given mission, vision, even values a little bit. He said, if you're going to be a follower of me, here's what your life needs to look like. And first of all, he talks about this idea of power. And for the next few minutes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the power that Jesus gives us, the purpose that Jesus gives us, and the plan that Jesus gives us. They're all found in verse 8. If you would, look at just verse 8 with me, and we'll talk about this power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on you? Well, it's according to here, you receive power. If you're a believer in Christ, you have that power. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Have you ever been shocked by electricity? When I was young, I was working for a guy and I was mowing and the, he had wrapped the, uh, the safety bar so you couldn't turn off the mower without, and so he, he would use it, he would touch the spark plug and touch a piece of metal with, a, with like a, a screwdriver. That's how you turned off the mower. The problem with that is if you're touching the metal part of the screwdriver with your finger, it throws you on your back. And that's what happened to me. I mean, I remember I was, I was trying to turn it off. You know, I was touching the spark plug, trying to touch something on the, you know, the metal piece. And all of a sudden, next thing I knew, I was laying on my back. Power. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here is the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the, the believer has the Holy Spirit. And you say, your question might be, well, then why don't I feel like I have the Holy Spirit? Well, feelings are good, but you can't always trust them. Because if you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You're like, well, does that mean I'm not a believer in Christ? I don't know. That could be a concern, but most likely you're here if you're asking that question, that's a good sign. Sometimes we don't feel like we have the Holy Spirit because there are things that happen in life <clears throat> that cause the Holy Spirit to be quenched. Uh, our sin, unconfessed sin can quench the Holy Spirit. So what do I need to do? I need to confess my sin and ask for forgiveness and, and breathe in forgiveness. Uh, another thing that can quench the Holy Spirit, I think, is busyness. You know, you just keep scrolling. Just keep scrolling, Right? I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to spend time with you, Lord. I mean, that's what happens to me. I do this rather than do this. 
It's kind of like a parent-child relationship. It's not a great illustration, but it's kind of like a parent-child relationship that a parent, a, a child is gonna be the parent's child no matter what they do. But when conflict comes or when they don't spend a lot of time together, you're not gonna be very close. And so what helps with closeness is time together. What helps with closeness is, no, uh, is resolved conflict. I shouldn't say no conflict, right? Is resolved conflict. And it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit living in us. Here's what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to help you and be with you forever. 10 verses later, he says, but the advocate or the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Imagine going back and reading that as the disciples who've received the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Holy Spirit is going to teach me. Or one chapter later, John chapter 15, verse 26. When the advocate comes, this is Jesus again, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And then lastly, in John chapter 16, but very truly I tell you, this is Jesus, it is good that I am going away Unless I go away, the advocate, the, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Power. So I've got a question for you. Where's the power? Where's the power? Do you see it today? That's kind of a convicting question, isn't it? I will say this, I do think that unconfessed sin can, can quench the power. I do think busyness can quench the power. There's some other things that can quench the power. A lack of time with the Lord can quench the power, but I think the power is present, especially when God's people gather together. The power is living in you. I, I do think in some ways in our culture today, we tend to want that earthly power as Christians, don't we? Man, we want Christians to be in charge. We want, we want to run the government. We want to run everything, the Christians. And, and I, think, I think in some ways we can take the same, the same instruction from Jesus and kind of say it's not about earthly power. It's about Holy Spirit power. And we're about to see it's Holy Spirit power working through his witnesses. He's given us power Look at the next one. He's also given us purposes. He said, you will be my witnesses. If you've always wondered what your purpose in life as a believer in Christ is, it's right here. Your purpose in life, my purpose in life, the purpose for the disciples is to be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's it. <clears throat> That's all we're supposed to do, be a witness. What does a witness do? A witness testifies about what they've seen and what they've heard and what they believe to be true. That word witness there is a really powerful word. You could underline that. It's actually the Greek word martis. Say that with me. Martis. One more time. Martis. What does that word remind you of? Somebody say it out loud. Yeah, martyr. What is a martyr? A martyr is someone who dies for their faith. 
And so this word, martis, comes from the same Greek word, martyr. And if you were to read the definition of that, a witness or a martis or even a martyr is a person who, who witnesses and perhaps has been killed as a result. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but that seems really hard, doesn't it? You might need the Holy Spirit to pull that off. And I don't see a lot of people dying for their faith in the United States. It does happen around the world probably often, but I don't see it happening a lot in the U.S., but it could be hard. You could, you could hurt a friendship. You could, you could possibly lose your job. But what Jesus is saying is it's going to be challenging. But our job is to step out in faith, even when things are kind of swirling around us. Even when life doesn't make sense, our job is to step out in faith and be a witness In addition to power, in addition to purpose, he also gives us a plan. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is where our missions folks get fired up and they should. See, he's given us a plan. He's given us a plan. He says, "It's, it's, it's here it's near and it's far. The, 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 the purpose is to be a witness wherever you're at. But he said, now the gospel should go out. And, and if, if I had a map, you'd see Jerusalem. And then around it, you would see Samaria and Judea. And then farther out, you would see the ends of the earth. And probably the ends of the earth at that time, theologians say, was probably Rome. So this is a challenge for them. He's saying, hey, you will be witnesses right here with the religious Jews, which that's challenging. You will be a witness at Samaria and Judea out there. And I'm like, wait a minute, with the Samaritans? They're the ones that are half Jewish and half Gentile. They're the worst. Yeah, you'll be a witness to them. And not only that, to the ends of the earth. Oh, man, the Romans? Not the Romans. Yeah, those living in Rome. And for Paul, it had been probably Spain. At one point in time, we were the ends of the earth. But I think it's good to kind of flip that and go, okay, Jerusalem. My Jerusalem is northwest Arkansas. I need to be a witness here. What's my Samaria and Judea? Well, maybe it's, maybe it's the east coast, west coast. Those people are crazy, aren't they? You know, we can say that. Maybe, maybe for some of you from the south, it's just getting outside the SEC. You get outside the SEC, that's, that's Judea and Samaria. But you gotta be thinking, how am I, how am I involved in, in being a witness out there? And how am I being involved in, 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 in the ends of the earth? And I'll say this, some of you, you need to go. You just need to go. You need to get out of here and go. It's easy for me to say, yeah, I don't wanna go. It's scary. We have a family at Fellowship we have a number of families at Fellowship who have gone. I mean, they're at the ends of the earth ministering. They're just like you and me. Uh, the Robinson family is one I think of um, more recently. You may, may be a supporter of them. You may have, have, have prayed for them. But <clears throat> they are in Southeast Asia, just to kind of protect them. And they're in Southeast Asia and they're ministering. But I can remember. I can remember when the Robinsons, I think, got into their first community group here at Fellowship. It was with the Mannings. 
And I can remember when they started helping lead that group. And I can remember when they, they launched out and they led their own group. And at some point in time, God began working in their hearts and they began thinking about the ends of the earth. And then this multi-year process happens where they, they pray about it. Maybe they get some training. They even went to a kind of a cultural immersion thing saying, can our family really handle this? And as all the boxes be checked, eventually they ended up overseas in Southeast Asia uh, to the ends of the earth to an unreached people group. They've gone. And maybe your role could be just praying for them and supporting them financially cheering for them when they come home. And we've got lots of families like this at Fellowship who have left their corporate jobs here to go be witnesses over there. But I think some of you may need to go. We'll end the passage with this, verse nine. After he said this, he, Jesus, was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. What an amazing scene. He's just given them the power, or he's told them about the power. He's just given them a purpose and a plan for their life, and he says, here's what's gonna happen. Jesus, who just ascended, is gonna come back. The, the, the men in white said this, Jesus is now in heaven. He will return the same way he left. One theologian said, in a cloud, he personally left bodily, visibly, and gloriously, and he will return the same way. Here's what Jesus said about his leaving and coming back. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's going to be an amazing day. But until then, be a witness. Be a witness focused on the world. The ascension of Jesus to heaven indicates a number of things for us. First, it's the culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's done. It provides confirmation of Jesus' exaltation at the right hand of the Father. It paves the way for the coming Holy Spirit. It prepares the people for the church and its mission. And it gives us a promise of Jesus Christ's return. Five, six, seven years ago, we launched Fellowship Fayetteville out of this body. And about 25% of our church went with them. And in between there, the Samaritan churches, Springdale and Rogers, and, and before that, we had the Grove Church, and, and some folks went with New Heights Church, and, and several other things going on. We've always had people kind of coming and going. It's a very healthy thing. Then this last year, Fellowship Bentonville, like 45, 50% of the people, they went. It was really cool. And for the first time, and as long as I can remember, we actually had some empty seats in here. And so maybe if this this witnessing thing is a little bit overwhelming to you, let me give you just three things to do, three simple things. This is your challenge this week. And they all involve inviting. Invite someone. Invite someone to church. It used to be if you invite somebody to church, you remember that? You had to kind of elbow somebody out of the way to get a seat. Like, don't be late. Be here early. You have to be 20 minutes early. And people are like, what? Yeah, we've got seats. 
Come on, invite your friends. Invite somebody to your small group. If you don't have one, start one. And, and then this post-COVID era, invite somebody to your home, to your table. Begin to listen to their story and you tell them your story. Maybe it's somebody you don't know very well. Maybe it's someone who's, who's a little different than you. They look different or they're from a different socioeconomic thing or, or whatever. Just invite them in. You see, I was saying go a minute ago. Don't go if you're not being a witness here. We all need to be witnesses here and begin to think about out there. And, and maybe being a witness for you is just walking across the street, having a conversation. I got this new friend named Paul that attends our church and <clears throat> I don't know how we ended up at lunch together, what we did, but man, it was incredible to hear Paul and what he's doing. He's a, he's a grandpa who has 10 grandchildren and now he and his wife are being intentional in their lives and they're praying for him and they're calling him. But not only that, he was telling me about a conversation he had with a car salesman and how he's following up on that. He was telling him about the gospel and his doctor, like he's trying to go to coffee with his doctor. He's telling me about how he's praying for his doctor. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's being a witness wherever you're at. And to do that, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And how you're filled with the Holy Spirit, how I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, what helps me is the people of God telling me the truth of God. It's the Word of God, the Spirit of God, speaking through the Word of God into my heart. It's me spending time alone with God, and it just fills me up. It's dealing well with sin. It's dealing well with busyness. It's focusing on the Lord. Here's the big idea. God provides the power to fulfill our God-given purpose and accomplish his plan. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, we're so grateful that we have your word. I pray that this powerful passage will not be forgotten at lunch. Lord, I pray that this, this verse, this Acts 1-8, this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus right before he ascends, it would haunt us. It would encourage us. Lord, I pray that your spirit would not be quenched in the lives of the people of this church, Lord. You'd help us to deal with our sin well. You'd help us to deal with business well. You'd help us to focus on you and be encouraged by other believers through the Holy Spirit. You'd be encouraged through your word by the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would be a church where the Holy Spirit seems free to move in our hearts. And Lord, through all of that, may you be glorified. Amen. Well, as we leave, we wanted to finish by singing these really famous words. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And he's the same God. And he's still working and he's still changing lives and he's still doing miracles and he's still bringing his kingdom here and his kingdom is coming. And so this Jesus that was ascended is coming back. And I think that's worthy of our praise. So if you guys would, as we leave, could we stand and sing this together? The doxology, praise God. And praise God from whom blessings flow Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above.
again. Oh, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him Jesus, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Jesus, come back soon. Amen. Well, fellowship, we love you guys. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. If you need prayer, the prayer room is open over here to your right. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.